Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. We're so glad that you're here this morning. I love to hear that sound of fellowship. Just does my heart good. Uh, let's stand and let's sing together. Where two or more are gathered in his name, the Lord is there too. And so we're going to worship him this morning.
the Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. And if you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. We'd love to get to know you. And one of the ways that we do that is through the guest card that's located in front of you. If you could just grab one of those white cards and fill it out. And after our worship gathering, go to the left to the Welcome Center. You can drop that off there at the Welcome Center. And we have a small gift for you coming and being a part of our worship service. Uh, we want to take a moment to pray as we begin. Would you stop and just pray with me for just a moment as we settle our hearts as we begin this time of worship? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship together. And Father, I pray that as we sing and as we dig into the word, God, that you would speak to us, God. And uh, that this would not just be another Sunday morning. This would be an opportunity to hear from you. And we thank you for this opportunity. God, I pray we put our minds' attention and our hearts' affection on you in you alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand and let's continue to sing. He turns graves into gardens in that grave. Now, in the bridge on this, you got to put your hands together. Not yet. Here we go. I search the world.
give the Lord a hand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Every time I sing this song, I, I think of this, the 23rd Psalm, the goodness of God. So I wanted to just, let's just read this together. I, I learned, when I was a kid, I learned this psalm in the old King James Version. Somehow that's poetic to me. So let's just read the 23rd Psalm together and let it just minister to us. It says this, see, read it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. What a great way to worship. Good morning. It's good to see you today. We're glad you're here. This is the 21st anniversary of the largest terrorist attack on our nation in our country's history. Almost 3,000 people died September 11, 2001 in New York and Washington, D.C. and in Pennsylvania. So I would like for us just to use this as an opportunity to pray for our nation. And so would you join me as we bow together in prayer right now for a moment? Father in heaven, on this uh, terrible anniversary, we pause to look to you because all things should turn us to you. And we remember, Lord, that terrorist attack on our nation. And we pause, first of all, to pray for the survivors, the family members of those who died. Because even though it's been 21 years, we know there's still a gap. There's still a grief. There's still a hole there. And so we pray for those children and grandchildren and spouses and those who uh, experienced the death of a loved one there. Lord, we take this opportunity also to thank you and to pray for first responders. And Lord, we pray for firemen and law enforcement and EMTs and others who help us in times of personal and national tragedy. And we pray your blessing upon them for their service, and we thank you for them. Lord, we also use this opportunity to thank you for our military who serve our country and who help to keep us safe, and we pray you bless them and be with them wherever they may be stationed. Most of all, Lord, we thank you that even when death strikes, that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. And I pray that every person would find that hope. Finally, Lord, I want to pray for our nation. I pray that we would turn to you I pray that there would be spiritual and moral awakening and renewal and revival in our nation, that we might recover our foundations and our path to greatness that come only from your blessing and your favor. And that's our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm sharing a series of sermons from the Old Testament book of Amos. Those of you who are new with us here, welcome. We're glad you're here. The theme of this series is uh, uh, Amos 3.8, which says, The lion has roared, who will not fear? 
And so Amos compares God to a lion roaring, and we ought to be afraid. And so one of the purposes of our study of this book is to recapture a healthy fear of God's judgment, a reverence for the Lord. He is the Lion of Judah. We are in Amos 7 through 9 are five visions. Amos 1 through 6 are the sermons of Amos. Amos 7 through 9 are the visions that God gave him. We looked at three of the first three of those visions last week. But between the third and fourth vision is a narrative passage. It is the only story in the book of Amos. And that's what we're going to look at today. All the rest are the words of Amos or these visions. But here's a story about Amos. And we're going to look at it in Amos chapter 7. We'll begin with this uh, third vision that we looked at last week because it sets up this story. So we begin reading in Amos chapter 7 verse 8. The Lord um, asked me, what do you see, Amos? So this is the third of those visions. A plumb line, I replied. The Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I'll spare them no longer. And so we talked about last week how a plumb line showed if something was perpendicular, plumb, true, right, and the nation of Israel had deviated from the standard of God's word and will, and so it was going to have to be torn down. It was out of plumb, and that was the meaning of this vision. And so from that, in verse 9, Amos said, the high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. So he's saying, your places of worship, your religion is not square, it's not right, and so your temples are going to be torn down in judgment. And the last line of verse 9, And my sword, I will rise, with my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. He was the king, and he's saying the descendants of Jeroboam, this line, will be cut off. That's Amos' prophecy based on this third vision. Well, that didn't sit well with Amaziah, who was the priest. And you can imagine if you were the priest and somebody said, your temple is going to be destroyed because it's, it's not right. Well, he didn't like that. So in verse 10, Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. So Amaziah didn't like this prophecy that your, your religious systems are not true, they're not right, and they're going to be, they're going to be torn down. And he's mad about this, and so he tattles on Amos to the king, to Jeroboam, and he says, he's a terrorist, he's a conspiracy, he's, he's raising an insurrection against you. And he says in verse 11, for this is what Amos is saying, Amaziah is reporting to, to the king, Jeroboam will die by the sword. Well, that's not exactly what he said. He said the house of Jeroboam, the descendants will be cut off. But see, he's twisting his words a little bit here to make it even worse. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile, Amos had said that, away from their native land. And then Amaziah says to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah, earn your bread there, and do your prophesying there. So Amaziah tells Amos, Go home to where you came from. We don't want you here. Now let me remind you of the situation here that you'll understand it. He says, go home to Judah. So you remember that the chosen people of Israel, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and God gave them the promised land. And then David, King David, united these 12 tribes into one nation of Israel, and he was king over all of them. Solomon, his son, was also king over all 12 tribes. But after Solomon's death, 
There was rebellion. There was civil war between the two, and the nation of Israel split into two nations. Ten of the tribes formed the northern kingdom. That was their territory, and they kept the name Israel. The two tribes to the south were Judah and Benjamin, and they went by the name of the larger tribe, Judah. So now you have two nations instead of one, Judah and Israel, north and south, and they don't like each other. There is animosity between the two. And in Judah, the southern part, is where Jerusalem is, and that's where God said, told David and Solomon to build the temple. That's where he said he put his name, and I would meet with you there in that Holy of Holies, that place. Well, the the northern kingdom, they didn't want their people going back down to Judah, to Jerusalem for Passover. That would divide their loyalty. So they set up these temples, these shrines, and their own priesthood in Samaria, the northern capital. And Amaziah is one of these priests of the northern. It wasn't what God set up, but they set it up to keep unity there. And so there's animosity between these two nations, and Amos is from the southern kingdom. He's from Judah, the south. Uh, Tekoa, and he has gone from the southern kingdom up to this northern kingdom, and he's prophesying there. And so Amaziah is saying, hey, we don't need your kind here, you southern boy. Go back home where you came from. We don't want you here in the north. They thought themselves a little more cosmopolitan. They were more progressive, more more, uh, prosperous. And uh, uh, Judah said the only true worship was in Jerusalem, and they didn't like that narrow kind of religion there. And they said, go back home. So he's telling uh, him to, to go back to your land. It would sort of be like, maybe you could compare it to the United States and Canada, two nations that, that share a similar heritage and language. And if some guy from Tennessee goes to Toronto and starts preaching against it, then we say, hey, what are you doing up here? You know, Go back home where you came from. Except there's even more animosity. There's, that's not a great comparison because these two nations have even been at war. So Amaziah says, Go back home where you came from and earn your bread there. So there's the implication that he's sort of preaching for money, right? Go peddle your sermons back down south. And let me tell you, no preacher likes that criticism that you're just preaching for money. That doesn't go over well. It didn't go over well with Amos either here. And so, uh, and then he says, verse 13, Amaziah says to him, don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom Hey, this is king's territory. You don't belong here. You don't have any right or business preaching here. So he's twisted Amos' words. He's questioned his motives, and he's tried to bully him and send him home. Well, in verse 14 is Amos' response. Amos answered Amaziah, Look, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. And that's not speaking so much that his daddy wasn't a prophet, but what it means, a son of a prophet, uh, was a company of the prophets. Elijah had this company of prophets. It's saying, I'm not a, this isn't my vocation. This isn't what I do for a living. This isn't my identity, who I am. I'm not a prophet nor the son of the prophet, but I was a shepherd. I took care of sheep. And I took care of sycamore fig trees. Now let me tell you about that. It literally says, I pinched or slit the sycamore figs. And I'm, I don't know about this. I've just read about it. But what I understand about this fruit, it's not a, like a fig that we have exactly. But they, those who are experts say that what they did, that they would pinch or gash these fruit and it would cause them to ripen quicker 
and before a parasitic wasp that laid its eggs in the fruit could have time to do that, and it would avoid that damage to the fruit. And so this was their way of taking care of the sycamore figs. Somebody had to get up in that tree and each one of those figs, you know, you had to pinch it. Amos was a fig pincher. That's what he was. He said, I'm not a preacher. I'm a, I'm a goat herder and a fig pincher. That's what I am. But, he says in the next verse, verse 15, but the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Amos' authority, he said, was not in his background or his vocation. He said, God called me. And that's why I'm here. God told me to do this. I didn't ask for this job. This isn't who I was. But God has called me. And what I want you to think about today is the call of God upon your life. Is God calling you? Well, in verse um, 18, <coughs> it says, Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. So uh, Amaziah's words had the opposite effect that he intended. Instead of it getting to shut up Am Amos, it made him preach even more. He said, you told me not to preach, so here's another sermon for free that I'll give you. And he says in verse 17, therefore, this is what the Lord says, your wife will become a prostitute in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up. And you yourself will die in a pagan country. And Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Ouch. That's pretty tough, isn't it? He said, you have told, you have tried to squelch the word of God. I'll repeat the prophecy of exile. And I will tell you what will happen personally to your family. And it will not be pretty picture. Now, what should we learn? How do we apply this section of Scripture to our, to our lives? What I want to ask you to ask yourself today is this question. Is God calling me to preach? He called Amos. Is God calling me to preach? And there's two ways to answer this question. I want you to consider these two ways, the two answers to this, okay? First of all, God calls some Christians to preach as pastors or missionaries. And I want you to consider, is God calling me to be a preacher as a pastor or a, or a missionary or, or a church worker? I want to show you an example of that in the Scripture in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. In the New Testament, Paul said, when he started his letter to the Romans, here's how he introduced himself. Paul, a servant or slave of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul said, my credentials are that God called me and set me in a part to be an apostle. And so I believe that God does that. He has a special call on the lives of some Christians to set you apart for special service to Him, that this becomes your vocation, your role in life, that you serve Him. When I was 15 years old, I became a Christian when I was about nine years old. I grew up in a Christian home, learned about Christ as a kid, was baptized at age nine. When I was in high school at age 15, I felt God calling me to ministry. I didn't know what shape that ministry would be. I didn't know I would be a pastor, but to calling me to preach, to be a minister. It was a part of what the Jesus movement that swept our country, the last revival that America has experienced. And from that, I felt God stirring in my life. 
And so I began to preach. And uh, I preached in my home church a few times, and, and I preached at some other churches and youth revivals. And when I was 18, I was a freshman in college, and there was a little church of just about 25 people that didn't have a pastor and so they were desperate, you know, they're small, they don't have anybody, they're desperate. They said, would you come preach for us? And so I'm, I'm 18, I go and preach there, and I preach for several weeks, and I suppose they looked and couldn't find anybody better, and they said, would you be our pastor? And so at age 18, I became a, a pastor, and next year will be 50 years since I was ordained, 50 years uh, anniversary of, of gospel ministry. God called me. And you say, well, how does that work? How does it, well, it's different for everybody. Just like those of you who became Christians, your experience wouldn't always be the same, would it? For some, it's just a moment. For some, it's a process. Uh, Andy Norman is a member of our church. He's a medical doctor. He spent his career as a missionary in, uh, in Africa. And I asked him about his call, and he said, you know, there was sort of a growing sense of altness in my life. And I thought, wow, that's a great way to describe it. He said, this is what I ought to do with my life, and that sense of oughtness just grew in my life. So sometimes it may come that way, but God calls people to ministry, to missions, to pastors. And many denominations have a shortage of pastors right now because there, there aren't as many filling that. Southern Baptists have done well at that, but some predict that for us. There are many in my generation. I'm part of the baby boomer generation. It was a big a bump. There were, there were, people came through that revival in the, the 70s. A lot of people were saved. And so now we're all reaching retirement age. There are a lot of pastors that resigned during COVID. And so the, a number of factors are creating a need for people to answer the call. There are a, a lot of people in our seminaries, but many of them, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, well, there are a lot of people in our seminaries, but a lot of them don't want to be pastors. And I said, well, I can get that sometimes, but, but God calls to be pastors. So I'm just asking you, I want you to consider this call. Maybe you're a middle schooler here. Maybe you're a high schooler like I was. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're, you're grown and you've got a family and you have a job or a business, but God is calling you. Or maybe you just are thinking about that. Would you be open to the call of God? Parents, when your kids talk to you about what they want to do, or what college they want to go to, are you going to be open or are you going to discourage them if they say, you know, I think God might be calling me into ministry. It's, oh, man, you don't want it. How are you going to respond to that? Will you release your kids to that call if God calls them? Let me tell you, we've had a lot of people called from our church to ministry. But I have to tell you, it's been a few years since as we've watched those graduating seniors on the video every year and we are so happy for them and applaud them and they tell what they're going to be doing been a few years since one of them said, you know, I believe God's calling me to ministry and I'm going to go to, to seminary or college or whatever. So I want you, would you, would you be open to that? Let me show you the roles that God speaks of in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So God, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers, those two go together, that's one office, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So God calls people to those roles, and then he gives them to the church. He said, these are my gifts to the church. You might think, we got the white elephant gift. I don't, we didn't get a great gift. Well, but God gives pastors to the church as a gift to them. That's what this verse says, to equip them for works of ministry. So he calls out people that he may gift to churches. Is God calling you in that way? 
But I want to give you a second answer to that question, is God calling me to preach? And that is that God calls all Christians to preach or, if you don't, uh, you can't uh, wrap your head around that verb, or tell the good news, because we're going to see that that word's translated both ways in the New Testament. God calls all Christians to preach. So my answer to you when you ask yourself the question, is God calling you to preach? And I would say to you, if you're a Christ follower, yes. Yes, He is calling you to preach. Let me show it to you in Scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you, talking to, to the people in the church that Peter's writing to, so you Christians, you are a chosen people. God chose you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a, you're a bunch of kingly priests. You have the role of a priest, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. You've been set apart as a group. You're God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. So the most basic call is not a call to be a preacher. The most basic call, the most widespread call, is the call to salvation. God has chosen you. He's called you to salvation. He's called you out of darkness into light. If you're a Christian, He's called you out of darkness into light. And I would have you to see from this verse that that call to salvation is also a call to preach. It is a call to declare or to tell. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Are you declaring the praises of Him who called you? So you've been called to preach. Now you may think of that word only in terms of behind a stand, on a stage, before a congregation. That's not the way the New Testament uses it. It uses it certainly in that sense, but it also uses it in a broader sense of everyone who has been called out of darkness into light is a call to preach. You see, we as Baptists especially emphasize this verse, a priesthood of believers. In the history of the church, there was in the history of the Roman Catholic Church through the Middle Ages a growing divide between clergy, that is, preachers who preach for a vocation, and laity. And there was sort of a separation there. <clears throat> and there was a distrust of laity having leadership roles. And so they took the Lord's Supper away. And only the priest would administer it. And then you would only get the, the bread, not the cup. And then they took the Word of God away so that you would not have it in your language because you might mess it up. You commoners, you don't know what to do with this book. It's only for us holy people. That was sort of the idea. It was in Latin wasn't in your language. The Reformation came and narrowed that gap. And so with Martin Luther and other these reformers, John Huss and John Wycliffe brought the, the Word of God back into the language of the people and gave it to the people and brought the Lord's Supper back to the people so that the bread and the cup were available to all believers. Baptists are what's called the Radical Reformation that took that work of Luther and those even farther and said, we believe in this priesthood of believers, that every believer has equal access to God and equal responsibility to preach. You don't have the office that I have. You might not. Only some are called to these who are uh, set apart as apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. You may not have that office, but you have that function or that role because everyone who's called out of darkness and light is a kingdom of priests who are called to declare the praises of Him who saved them. So yes, you've been called to preach. Now, if you still had not got that, let me show it to you in a couple other places. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says... 
that Saul approved of the, their killing Stephen. That is, this is when Stephen was stoned to death. And on that day, I don't think we've got the rest of the verse up there, so let me listen, listen to it. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. You get that? So uh, all except the apostles were scattered in this persecution. I guess the apostles had enough standing that they were, they were okay, that they weren't going to be persecuted. They could stay in Jerusalem. Every other Christian had to get out of Jerusalem for safety's sake. You get it? All right, look at verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Who were these people that were scattered? Not the apostles, the ones set apart for ministry. They were still in Jerusalem. It was everybody else who'd been scattered, and it was the everybody else that preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and preached or proclaimed. It's the same word as in the verse before, but here translated proclaimed. This word will be translated preach, proclaim, tell, declare. Proclaimed the Messiah there. He was a deacon, but he preached. And you have a responsibility to preach, that is to declare. It may not be in a formal setting like this. It is no less preaching when at your break at work or with your grandkids or whoever that you talk about Jesus to them because you're that kingdom of priests and have that role and responsibility. Let me show it to you one more place. In Mark chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus had just cast demons out of a man who was in a terrible shape. He was screaming and running around living in a graveyard. He was naked. He was cutting himself. He was so messed up mentally from these demon possession. And Jesus cast them out, and he was whole in his right mind. And then it says, verse 18 of Mark chapter 5, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them. This is the same word in Acts 8 and in these other passages that we've looked at, translated preach. You go home and preach to them or proclaim to them or declare to them or tell to them. And so what he was charged to do was to preach or tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And that's what you need to tell. If God's done anything in your life, tell other people how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So, next verse, the man went away and began to preach, proclaim, tell, same word, in the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. You've been called to tell or declare or to preach. And I want you to see from this passage is, you don't have to be an expert to do this. You don't wait till you've been in Sunday school 20 years to do it. This guy had never been in Sunday school a day in his life. He probably didn't know where Amos was in the Bible. He didn't know any of this stuff. He don't, a few hours ago, he was running around naked screaming, you know? He's a brand new Christian. But Jesus told him, you go preach, you go tell, right? And so I want to say to you, new Christians, you don't have to wait till you get to some level of Bible. You don't know everything. Sure, you're going to grow in your Bible knowledge, but you have an audience with others you need to preach. I want to say to you teenagers, to you in high school and middle school, you need to declare, you need to tell. Why? Because most people who come to faith in Christ come between age 8 and 18. Now, God can save somebody at any age. We've had 80-year-olds baptized here. But most people, because that's when your conscience is not yet hardened, most people are going to come to Christ if they come to Him between ages 8 and 18. 
Who knows 8 to 18-year-olds? 8 to 18-year-olds, that's who knows them. Kids, you need, to, you need to declare the praises of Him who called you. You need to talk to your friends and, and your cousins and your neighbors because God has called you out of darkness into light that you might preach or tell or declare the praises. God's called you to preach. And what an awesome privilege and responsibility that is. Now, which one of these two scenarios that I've shared with you was Amos? I've given you two answers to the question, have you been called to preach? And I said, God calls some of you to be set apart for a special vocation. Would you consider that call? But God calls all of you Christians to preach, to declare His praises. Which one of these was Amos? Depends on the translation of Amos 7.14. Let's look at it one more time. Here's your two translations. In Amos 7.14, where Amos gives his answer, he said literally, there's no B verb in Hebrew. So we have to supply one when we translate it into English to make it make sense. If you translate it literally out of Hebrew, it would say, I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Well, that sounds like Yoda or somebody. You know, it needs to be, you need a verb in there, right? So you either put, I was neither a prophet or I am neither a prophet. And as you can see by this alphabet soup of translations, they're about divided half and half. So if the, the, one, the way the NIV and the King James Version translate it and these others, it, it is, I was neither a prophet nor the son of the prophet, but God called me. That's saying, I'm a prophet. I didn't used to be a prophet, but I am now, right? And so he's saying God can call anybody. God can call fig pinchers. He can call shepherds, goat herders. He can call anybody to be a preacher. And I didn't used to be a preacher, but now I am because God called me. And that's that call to vocation that I'm asking you to consider. But other translations say, no, we think that's not supposed to be a past tense verb, but a present tense. And so they'll translate it. And then several others aren't sure. And so they put it one way in the text and the ESV and CSB put this in the footnote to tell you. We think it says, but we're not sure. So they put it in the footnote. And so it says, I am neither a prophet. If this is the correct translation, then Amos is saying, I'm not a preacher. I'm a goat herder. And when God lets me go back home, I'm going to be a goat herder again. That's who I am. I'm here as a goat herder because he called me to be here. And if that's the case, Amos is on a short-term mission trip. He's not a prophet. This is not who he's become. But God has put this message, and so he has sent it. God may send you to somebody. Did you know that? God may lay a burden on your heart. You need to talk to somebody. I hope you'll be responsive to that. And it may be that's what's going on here, that God, who just always is mysterious in how he does things, I just love the way God does it, who are we going to get to tell the northern kingdom, a sophisticated kingdom of Israel, that there I'm going to judge them? Hmm, I think I'll get a goat herder from another country to come tell, and I think that's what I'll do. God's just amazing. He can do anything he wants to do, and he does it that he may be glorified and not the one who brings the message. And so it may be that God, that, that Amos is just like you. He's not a preacher. He said, I'm not a prophet, but God called me to do that. Is God calling you? Some of you here today, you're not yet a Christian you haven't been baptized, he's calling you out of darkness into light. He wants you to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special possession. And that call out of darkness into light will also be a call to tell, to declare, to proclaim, to preach in your circles the good news of the one who called him. 
And God may be calling some of you in a second special call to give your life to be a missionary or a pastor or some other church leader that you would serve him in that role. Would you be open to his call in your life? Let's pray together. Oh God, today we just want to open our lives to your call. And right here as we sit in this pew for a moment before our closing, we believe you're here and we just want to say, God, are you calling us to anything? Maybe there's somebody you're calling to salvation. And God, I pray right now that they will they'll hear your call and that they'll put their faith in you and be saved. Maybe you're calling some to be preachers or missionaries or maybe you're calling some to talk to somebody at work and you're burdening them right now about somebody in their family or a friend that they've never talked to and that's your plan and I pray that they'd heed your call. We offer these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me? You can respond right now as we sing a song. You're welcome to walk forward. Maybe you want to say, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus and be baptized. Come forward. We'll rejoice with you. Maybe you want to say, I believe God may be calling me. I'm not sure, but I want the church to pray for me that I would discern his calling to ministry in my life. We invite you to come. Whatever God's saying to you, you can respond in this time.
seated. You can have a seat. And you can continue to worship through giving as you uh, leave the boxes at the exits. You can put your offerings there as you go. I want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, well, announce a couple of things, too. Uh, so uh, the weather's nice uh, right now, but the forecast is that it's not going to be looking good this afternoon. So we've decided to postpone the church picnic. So we're hoping we can find a date that works with the church calendar and the facility available uh, availability at the uh, park. So we'll keep you posted on that, but uh, we won't be having the church picnic uh, this afternoon. Swimming party. Yes, or a mud party, whatever we want to do. Mud, mud slides. Yeah, mud slides, you know, grass wars, whatever. Um, so, uh, so you can bring all of your dishes that you've cooked, just bring them to my house. Okay, there you go. I'll take care of them, yeah. get the dishes back to you. Todd's personal buffet. <laughs> so uh, tomorrow morning, uh, ladies' Bible study starting. Uh, it's a good time uh, in Bible study. There's books available in the bookstore. And then Thursday night, having a mom's night out for uh, First Baptist moms of all ages. Come share some wisdom, uh, share some time, uh, the devotion, and uh, just fellowship. So I hope you can be a part of that Thursday night. Some other things happening you can read about there in your bulletin. And I think uh, that's all we got. So let's pray and be dismissed. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. And we thank you for the example of Amos, his bold, courageous uh, preaching, God. And we uh, hope that we would respond to that that call that we are all to preach and share your love with others and the truth of what difference you've made in our lives, God. So help us to pray for those opportunities. Help us to look out for those opportunities and help us to be bold and courageous to share. And we know your spirit is with us, God, to, to give us the courage, uh, to give us the things to say. So help us just rest in the peace that you are guiding us in that calling. Uh, so uh, we, we just pray that we can be that and do that as we go about our days, God. Thank you for your, who you are. Thank you for your love. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.